What is going on, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to episode two of The Shock Factor. I know there was a solo episode, and I'm not counting wrong. This is the real deal, where I, Stephen Shock, am joined by Jordan Schusterman and Jake Mintz. Fellas, how we doing? It was at, like, episode 1.5. We're going to move in, in .5 increments, I think. Yeah, I think that's the more efficient way, to be honest with you. Yeah, that seems fair. Um, but I quite enjoyed listening to the Midweek Pod. I guess we didn't clarify that last week uh, when we started our show. We did our introductions. Yes, our good friend Steven here will be, will be potting twice a week. So you can hear him uh, on Fridays, and then we will be going every, uh, every Monday. But we're excited to be back, and now we don't have to waste 20 minutes telling everyone who we are, and we can dive right in to the college baseball action. My goodness, friends, a lot has happened since we last talked. A lot is still happening as our original plan as we record this on Sunday night was to wait for the end of the NC State, uh, Florida State game. Uh, but these two teams, neither of these two teams have any uh, intention of winning, although it seems like Florida State is, is, is making, their, making their way. Um, but gentlemen, it's the bottom of the 14th. You didn't say that. You got to say that it is the bottom of the 14th. It is the bottom of the 14th as yeah. we record this. Uh, and just kidding, Florida State uh, just got out. So we're heading to the 15th in Tallahassee, but uh, we're going to ignore that game and tell you all about some fun stuff uh, over the past week in college baseball. And Jake, I know you wanted to start off with something that is very relevant in this NC State Florida State game, which is that conference play has begun. Jordan, I'm not a con, okay? I'm non con, but this weekend was V con. It was the first week of conference play. In many of the big cons around the country, SEC got rolling. I believe it was the second week for the ACC. The Big Ten was like kind of – they were all in. They started. Big 12 was like kind of halfway into con, halfway out of con. Pac-12 was playing their conference games on awful streams out west. Someone is, you know, Instagram living the Stanford-Arizona game on the internet. I don't know why that exists. Just get that on ESPN. But I just wanted to talk about – Con play, Stephen Shock. <laughs> Tell me, a noob, a Division Three schlub, what is different about the first week of conference play at a Power Five school? So the first week, the main difference is it, it's when the the tires are hitting the road to Omaha. That's when that's when shit really matters, or you know, if I can't swear, that's when stuff really matters. These are the games that technically count. All games count, don't get me wrong. But these are the ones that count just a little bit more because you do good in these, you make it to the conference tournament, you have you know, your RPIs going up because you're playing against typically higher caliber opponents depending on how you schedule it. I know at Virginia we usually started easy and then we went on. We, we eased our way in. We didn't go straight for the hard stuff. And once you get to the hard stuff, that's when the RPI has the potential to go up. So these in-conference games are huge for that. And they're also just huge for setting the standard of, you know, kind of what your season's going to look like and what sort of team you are. So, you know, if you're pumping teams who are out of your conference, you know, playing smaller schools, then it's like, oh, that's great. But then you get into your conference play as a Power 5 school and you're getting steamrolled. It's like, oh, oh okay, so... You know, all that stuff you were doing preseason is, uh, you know, kind of, or not preseason, but pre-conference play. I'm a smart guy. I know words. Is, uh, is worth a little bit more. It's kind of putting your money where your mouth is and kind of proving what team you got. 
So I would say my favorite thing uh, about conference play is that it the matchups become more familiar. And I will say it is fun. We've seen in the last few years kind of the introduction of, of these crazy tournaments, you know, going on at Globe Life or going on in Phoenix or going on in Frisco, Round Rock, like all these, you know, oh, let's bring a bunch of schools from a bunch of different conferences in for a weekend and play each other. And, like, that's awesome, and I think that's a great test. But especially since it is so early and teams are still trying to figure out themselves in general, you never really know what you're watching and really what you should believe when you, when you see those matchups. But once you get into conference play, it's like, okay, let's get – we got the rivalries and we got weekend series. We're going Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we actually can start to line these teams up in their respective conferences, and everything just starts to make more sense. Because before conference play, there are some fun matchups, but you really are not totally sure what is going on and what is true and what is actually who's good, who's bad, what wins are worth. And so while you're right, they all do count, this feels like the beginning of the real season. Now, the one thing I don't like about conference play is you don't get to see – I mean, you still do in the midweeks, but you don't get to see, like, the mid-major teams on fancy broadcasts. Right, the the broadcast oh. quality goes down for you know the Long Beach states of the world compared to like when they were playing in Vandy. Not to say that that's a small program, but I'm just saying that's my one critique. Is like we got uh, we got to up the broadcast quality. I went on a big rant about this today. Like that's how we grow this sport, right? No one wants to watch. We we'll do it. The three of us will do it because we have problems. But like no one wants to watch it through a pigeonhole on Instagram Live. But Jordan, thinking about the Power Five conferences today, <laughs> sitting here on my desk watching baseball, and I was like, the Power Five, which one is which? Which Power Five conference has which energy? What could I compare them to? And at first I was like, I'm gonna make Steven Shock compare the conferences to the members of the Backstreet Boys. But then I was like, I don't know if Steven Shock knows all the Backstreet Boys. Steven Shock, can you name any or all of the Backstreet Boys? Wasn't Joey Fatone no, one no. of them? He was in NSYNC, so... Okay, he was in sync, yeah. And Hannah Montana. He was in Hannah Montana, too. That's actually how I knew his Incredible. name. Incredible. So, if I'm being real Instead, with what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you both to compare the Power Five conferences to the five members of the Mystery Machine from Scooby-Doo. I am, of course, talking about you know the all-time greatest rotation of Scooby, Shaggy, Velma, Daphne, and Fred. Jordan, would you like to begin? I love this. I love this question. And, you know, I'm actually really curious what the maybe, you know, if you're listening to this and you're, you know, still in school, like Scooby-Doo, of course, has been around for 50 years. But I, I'm, I have no idea what the average person of our generation's relationship with Scooby-Doo is. But I love this question because I know just enough that we can do this exercise. <laughs> I played Scooby-Doo video games as a kid. I, I watched it sometimes, seen some of the movies, seen some of the TV shows. So, actually, shock first. What about you? Like, what is your Scooby Doo background too? Like, hopefully, a little bit better than than InSync or Backstreet Boys. My Scooby Doo background is just downright psychopath sort of behavior. I literally love Scooby Doo. If you put on any of the original Hanna Barbera Scooby Doo's around me, I have like a seventy five percent shot after three minutes in telling you who did it and why. I I used to watch them absolutely <laughs> religiously. I've watched every spinoff, even the ones that absolutely suck. But I will say, I've enjoyed every single one of them. So, I'm a big Scooby-Doo fan. Okay. Steven Great. Shock does give off, I will say, big shaggy energy. <laughs> oh, well, like, well, I'm not... 
<laughs> I'm not. I'm not surprised by that at all, and that's great. So maybe Jake and I let's we'll go first with this exercise, and yeah. let's lay the groundwork here, and then we'll let Steve and the expert take it away, right? So who are we talking about, Jake? Scooby is the SEC, Jordan. It just matters more. Scooby just <laughs> oh, matters can more. We, can we? <laughs> okay, I was gonna say you want to say all the characters. First, I did. I already did that. I already did that. I already did that. Sorry. Okay, sorry. I, I, I didn't Scooby hear you say is the SEC. It just matters more. If you took Scooby out of the crew, it, it wouldn't be the crew anymore. Okay? Like, the SEC is the dominant force in college baseball. It's the thing. It's the reason it's such a big deal. I, I love the small schools and, you know, whatever. But it, at the end of the day, is Scooby is the SEC. Do you have any disagreement with this at all? I do not. Stephen Schock, do you have any disagreement? It just means more. I I honestly, I have no disagreement there. That is a phenomenal, a phenomenal point. And the art at first, when you first said Scooby SEC, I was like, okay, maybe. And then your argument for it just really sent me over the top. I was like, yeah, no, he's he's dead on on this one. Thank you, Jordan. All right, what do you got next? So I, I I'm with you. I mean, that just means more. It's just he's it's he's the show. Now look, I know there are people in college baseball. It's like, oh, talk so much about the SEC. It's like, sorry, that's not an accident. It's the best baseball. It's the most postseason teams. It's the most draft picks. It's the most velocity, most blah, 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 blah. Most blah, money. Blah. It's all that stuff. We don't, right. Okay. That's fine. Right. But hey, guess what? There are other great characters in Scooby Doo, hmm. and we're going to talk about You're them right, right now. Jake. Now, do are are we are we saying let's do it together? Let's do it together. No, I know, but I'm saying, am I about to say a conference first, or am I going to say a character? First? Whatever you Which want. Which are we matching? Whatever you want. Okay, I let's talk about Shaggy. Let's talk, let's about, talk Shaggy. about Shaggy. Yeah. Sure. Let's talk about Shaggy. Let's talk right. about Stephen Shock. Let's Sha talk about Stephen Shock. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, let's talk about Shaggy here because Shaggy and Scooby are hand in hand, right? They are. They are the two that are always going together, right? They, when they're solving their mysteries, they're usually off doing their own yeah. thing, and the other they're three vanilla are doing real work, right? Plain and simple. Exactly. Now, obviously, with this, you know, these analogies, it's there's not. I to me, there's not an obvious like, oh, they go with the SEC. So I think there are a couple options here. I think I would say the Pac-12. Actually, no, I take that back. I think I would say the Big 12. Actually, no. <laughs> I think Whoa. it's the ACC, and it's not even a question. Interesting. Okay, so so I had an ACC thought, but I will I will save it. Stephen, what do you think? I, I want to say ACC just because, you know, ACC is where I come from after, you know, spending time all over the place. And it's, it's where I would call home, and that's why I feel like Shaggy would fit in just because I know kind of the structure. I know a lot of the guys in the conference. And I feel like, you know, where would Shaggy blend in the most? Where would he have the most fun? If you ask me, it wouldn't be on an SEC team where, you know, everything's super serious. And everything's super serious in all these conferences, just so we get that clear. Sure. But I think, I think Shaggy playing for Coach Brian O'Connor would be a phenomenal phenomenal trip like they could do one of those hard who is knocks. shaggy who is shaggy if not tommy white <laughs> <laughs> look at the man he's okay. shaggy that's dude. a good okay. question so then let's okay so 
fine. I mean, I can be overruled here, but I'm just, again, this is going to get challenging, all right? Unless, Jake, you've already lined this up. Now, you've obviously thought about this more than I have. Yeah. So let's, let's move on then. Let's move on to Velma. Big 10. Okay, why do you say Big 10? Academic. I think there's some okay, more so academic I, institutions in the Big 10. So I agree with you, and I also feel like the ACC also has that. It's just a little imbalanced in that sense. Maybe the average academic level is probably higher in the Big Ten compared to the ACC. But again, like you got like Virginia and Georgia Tech, and like I understand, I'm, I'm just I understand, but I feel like Velma would have played a funky COVID schedule. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Like that's fair. I agree on the whole. You got Northwestern and Michigan, and you know I. I but like Velma at Penn State, yeah, I mean. dude. Velma, and also like, <laughs> no, no shade to the Big Ten. Like the Big Ten is decidedly fifth. Like they are like fifth, right? And this, and again, is Velma's, Velma's not fifth. Velma's to me. like a big time player. Yeah, Velma's not fifth yeah, to me. Daphne, That's why I Daphne struggle with this fifth. one. Daphne's fifth. Daphne is fifth. Daphne's fifth, but she's got big West Coast energy. <laughs> I agree. Daphne's right. that was like my trouble too. That very was California. Too. Very big Valley girl vibes. <laughs> right. Right, but so is Fred. No, 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 no. Fred's like okay. Texas money. I'm putting my fist okay. down. I'm so ending Fred's this conversation right now. Fred is the Big Twelve. Daphne okay, is the fine. West Coast Pac-12. Velma's the Big okay. Ten. Stephen, shock your thoughts. I was gonna say Fred is Big Ten for one reason and one reason only. He's the only one consistently wearing neckwear that will keep him warm in those elements. I've seen their I've seen their <laughs> February and March games. I've seen how it is. That ascot is gonna pay dividends for him. And then I have Velma as the Pac-12 because, you know, a lot of the times during the episode, she'll go off, do her own thing, and she'll be doing her own thing. Then at the end, when shit's important, who's there solving shit? Velma is. And who's who's got, like, two, three teams in Omaha just solving shit and competing? You're so right. That's why You're I totally feel right. Pac-12, Velma. And then by default, Daphne is the Big 12. That's... I, I don't have a Daphne good read on is Daphne, ca- and I don't know much about the Big 12, if I'm being honest, <laughs> so that's why I feel it fits. <laughs> your your Pac-12 argument for Velma is so good. It's like, oh, yeah. it's, oh there's Arizona and Stanford in <laughs> Elma. There they are again. Okay. Ra- wrap it up. <laughs> wrap it up. It's over. I'm doing the Vince Carter. It's over. <laughs> Stephen Schock just solved the mystery easily. No further conversation. Shouts out to the yeah. American, a.k.a. Scrappy Dude. Uh, okay, let's move forward. Let's move forward here, Jordan. We had some unfortunate news dropping uh, just after we recorded last week with two of the big arms in college baseball going down for the season for very different reasons. One of the main narratives around the 2021 base, 2021, the 2022 college season is who the hell are the pitchers? Because last year we had all these elite College Arms, Rocker, Lighter, and the rest. And this year, it's nobody. Carson Wisenhunt, who was probably one of the top draft guys, uh, was suspended for the rest of the season for testing positive for a, a, a derg, <laughs> a, a performance-enhancing supplement. Uh, we'll, we'll just call it a no-no. We'll call it a no-no. <laughs> and not a, not the good kind of no-no. <laughs> I'm going to say this very quickly, and then, Shock, you can share your thoughts if you want on, on the Wisenhunt situation. Whenever an athlete tests positive for anything now, it is always the same thing that they say, right? I didn't know it was going to my body. I should have been more careful with the thing I was taking. 
I apologize and I'll be back next year. And I am a type of person who is inclined to want to believe people and take them at their words, but also there are rules for a reason and you broke them and it sucks for you. And even if I believe you, it's kind of a thing that just can't happen. And there's a reason it doesn't happen really that often at all in college baseball because guys are very smart and the resources are there to figure it out. So while I feel bad for Carson Wisenhunt and I feel bad for ECU, I also don't. And maybe that is ruthless, but I think that is the best way to approach a situation like this is with empathy, with empathy but also with, with truth. Shock, what are your thoughts on that? A lot of my thoughts come from the fact that I am a stupid person, mainly. Because the NCAA, on the list of banned substances, I cannot read probably 80% of the words. I think a better way of doing the banned substances and things like that is the NCAA just sends a representative into a GNC, into a vitamin shop, whatever it is, looks at everything, says, this is a go, this is a no-go, posts pictures of it online, because, you know, I want to get better. I want to lose weight. And, you know, every supplement, if you want to be safe, you got to show it to your trainer and say, like, hey, can I take this? And sure, my trainer might tell me, hey, Steve, don't take hydroxycut, which probably makes sense. But I also didn't want to be 280 pounds failing conditioning tests. And I wanted, and I didn't want to do abs. That's for damn sure. So... I thought maybe hydroxycut. Never took it, never did any performance enhancers. Maybe if I did, I would have thrown harder than 87. But I, I just feel terrible because I know how, like, how gray of an area it is. And, you know, I stayed safe by just stuffing the griddles in my mouth and shutting up. That's, that's what I did. But I hope he can come back eventually and, you know, be the player we all know he can be. So... That's yeah. where I stand. And I, the other thing, the other thing is like on the scale of morality for me, this does not, like I don't think this makes like Carson Wisenhunt a bad person, even if he knowingly or unknowingly took something. The other big name that went down last week was Landon Sims. He tore his, his ul, his ulcer, his UCL, his ulnar collateral ligament. Something that I am familiar with. Shouts out to the Tommy John brethren. He was probably. Uh, you know, he was the closer for Mississippi State last year, converted to the rotation, was pretty good in his first outing, arm pain, surgery, and then we'll see what happens with him in the draft. Huge loss for Mississippi State, just to talk about the baseball side of it. Like, they need him. They are struggling. I know they had a decent weekend, but he's the type of guy, when you lose him, it's, it's not great. I don't know, man. Yeah, I'm pretty worried about, about the dogs. I know we're not we're not talking X's and O's and, and, and you know, rankings here, but – I, you know, they, they went two and two, but Friday. they were given up. I know they went 20 to three today, but like they, the offense is still going to be good, <laughs> but the pitching is, is yikes. Uh, and obviously losing Sims, but losing I, Sims. And I, I mean, he's go ahead, Steven. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I will say Peyton Johnson, old beef. He stepped up big for Mississippi state. I, he, he did Preston. I Preston. think you mean Preston. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, I said it earlier. Okay. I didn't say I'm the smartest guy. Preston Johnson. Beef Johnson. See, that's why I like the name Beef. Way easier for me to remember. 
Yes, he has been good. Um, but Sims is just the latest. I mean, it's really unbelievable. And if you follow the draft, you know that this has been true even before Sims and Wizenhunt going down. And Wizenhunt, I mean, I, he's not going to pitch this year for ECU, and he might just get picked and then just go anyway. I mean, I don't think major league teams are necessarily going to be scared off by it. Um, so he'll probably go. But, again, the list is crazy. Sims down. Prelip had TJ. He's not going to be back. Peyton Pallette at Arkansas. Uh, Blade Tidwell still has not pitched yet for Tennessee. He was a projected possible first rounder not to mention Reggie Crawford uh he went down uh, early and 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 Henry Williams at Duke like there's so many guys so there's kind of a kind of a, a whole, normally college pitching it's like there's a bunch of it it's very not much but we did want to shout out a couple guys because Hunter Barco at Florida has been spectacular he was a huge deal in high school and he is now he you know his first few years at Florida have, were kind of eh he is looking like the real deal. I've been most impressed by the fact that I think he's only walked like one guy the whole season. Uh, maybe he walked a few on Friday, but he's been tremendous. Uh, and then Jonathan Cannon at Georgia. My goodness. He was another guy who could have gone last year. Didn't end up getting uh, as, as much as I think he probably deserved even last year with the, with the Ant 2021. And now he also, you know, when you're, when you're pitching on Fridays in the SEC, it's the, probably the fastest way to make a lot of money in uh, over the course of your season. And, oh, and shock. You should have done that. Good. Why didn't you think about that? Yeah, why weren't you pitching Fridays in the, in the SEC? That's on you, man. <laughs> you, you would, well, then you wouldn't be podcasting. Yeah, that's a, it's so a very good get-rich-quick scheme, if you ask me. I feel like <laughs> if you can pull it I off. Think it's huh. what's, yeah. I think what's kind of interesting about this, like last year, college baseball – went beyond its normal fan base and drew people in because of the two guys at Vandy, right? Mm -hmm. Because of Leiter and Rocker. Like, people mm -hmm. in the greater baseball world were tuning in because you had Rocker, who was one of the most famous college baseball players you've had in the 21st century, and you had Jack Leiter, the son of Al Leiter, right? People were tuning in. This year, it's the other side of the coin. The guys that are reaching into that new audience are all hitters. They're all yep. hitters. Whether it's Melendez yep. or Tommy White or whomever, mm -hmm. you know, Dylan Cruz. Like... Those guys are all hitters now. I just think that's yeah. a very interesting shift that we've had. I agree. But, I mean, Barco has been great. Um, I mean, the two guys at Florida State, uh, Parker Messick and, and um, uh, Bryce Hubbard, have been fantastic. Uh, and Justin Campbell at Oklahoma State, look, at, look out for him. He's been really, really, really good. Harrington at Campbell has been good. So, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, these guys will emerge. And like we said, like, this is the first weekend of conference play. Like, when you start putting up 10 strikeouts on Friday night, like, you're going to get noticed. And they, there will be guys that do that. Um, but we're just kind of waiting to see who those guys are. From the pitchers to the hitters, Jordan, let's take a peep at the old ding-dong race. Let's see <laughs> mm. who's in first of – the, so, the mountain of – who stands atop the mountain of dongers? <laughs> so, uh, Stephen Schock, I know you, you've you been keeping us uh, uh, in, in the loop here um, on, on the home run race, doing a very good job. Now, last week on our first episode, we were kind of worried because we assumed, you know, when we started hatching the plan to do this pod, I was like, well, just going to talk about Tommy White, talk about Tommy White. And mm -hmm. um, he hadn't homered last week in two weeks. And it was like, oh, God, like what's going on? He was still hitting, but he just hadn't homered. But – Fortunately, today, Tommy Tanks is back. Two homers in the first game of the doubleheader, which I'm now remembering this is the second game of the doubleheader that is currently in the 16th <laughs> inning. Um, <laughs> but uh, he is not in first, though, despite getting to 11 homers, and that is because somebody by the name of Jake Geloff at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, Virginia, has 12 ding-dongs. Stephen Charles, tell me about Mr. Jake Geloff. He is a sophomore currently with 12 nukes he got to 11 yesterday and i thought that would have him standing alone but i was informed that brad malm against my other alma mater 
had hit his 11th tank, which big shout out to the America East. We have the Albany, Albany Great Danes versus the UMBC Retrievers. So obviously, I know Jake, arr, 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 Jake arr, White's arr, that arr, matchup. <laughs> big dog, big dog. A, a conference that would have loved the Scooby Doo jargon. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, we we should give them Scrappy Doo. I mean, come on, <laughs> just on pure numbers alone. But Jake Geloff stepped up and he made he made me proud because it was on a team that I played for and not against the team I played for, hitting his twelfth nuke of the year. In 20 games, it's a young season. He's a young kid, and he's slapping the crap out of the ball. I think he has like 46 RBIs on the season. He leads the nation in OPS, slugging, um, all sorts of different things. He's just really good. He's just really good. I don't know what else to say. I I loved the the stat uh, that you put out um, that he has 42. Oh, this is this isn't even updated. So he has what forty five RBIs now? Uh, yeah, I think he basically yeah. The, basically, he has he basically has almost as many RBIs as the team has allowed. Pitching. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> the first twenty games, which is just which is nuts. Um, and it's amazing. I mean, of course, the younger brother of Zach Geloff, who was a, a high pick by Oakland last year and has really come on and, and he's also awesome. the pride of Cape the pride of Cape Henlopen High School. Go Vikings! <laughs> exactly. Exactly, uh, which is you know Delaware not necessarily churning out future big leaguers, but my God, if they the Geloff Bros are, are really skyrocketing their 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 stock. Can't say that in three <laughs> so years. In, in addition to you, you know. <laughs> um, I would like. To, yeah, so, I, so I would Geloff like to. Is, br- is sorry, I would like stock. to briefly touch on Mr. Uh, Tommy White, because his two home runs today, yet again, were opposite field. Were one of them was down the right field line, basically. Yep. Looked like he was just poking it the other way, and it went out. The other was to dead center, basically just to the right of dead center. Shock, what's it like giving up an oppo bomb? Because I feel like as a pitcher, at least when I was pitching, if you gave up an opposite field home run, you were like, that's a fluke. It doesn't even matter how far it went, right? Opposite field home runs were always a fluke. Yeah, it was always just something. uh, They accidentally hit it. I supplied the power. Because clearly no one has juice to the opposite side, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah, if it's like, oh, it's like I'm not facing Miguel Cabrera, you know. It's like, oh, geez, you weren't on time and got lucky. Okay. But then you look at Tommy White. <laughs> you look at Tommy White and realize his wrists are the size of my biceps. And it's like, oh, wait, no, you're just really strong. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think that's true. Again, Tommy White has yet to really pull a ball. The way I put it to Jake a couple weeks ago was, we have not seen the left field foul pole in any of Tommy White's home runs yet, Um, which is truly amazing. Again, this is a true freshman. Uh, Now, Tommy, unfortunately, um, uh, one for seven in game two of this doubleheader with no homers. But 11 homers, again, still keeping him on a great pace. We will see how he progresses as we move into, as we have said, conference play. Jake Mintz, uh, we're going to take a quick break. I know uh, last week, again, thank you to Wet Eggs for sponsoring episode one. Uh, they did not want to renew <laughs> for this week. Uh, but fortunately, we have a new sponsor, so we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back, back uh, with more Shock Factor. Today's podcast is brought to you by Bus Beers. 
did you just play a weekend series at an opponent who is too close to fly but too far away for a normal bus ride? Are you staring down the barrel of a seven-hour drive home on a Sunday evening? Well, forget the ball bag, but don't forget the bus beers. Whether you got swept or did the sweeping, bus beers are perfect, no matter the vibe on the ride home. Get smacked around all weekend by an inferior opponent? Is coach pissed off? Decompress all that anger and disappointment with a bus beer. Did you roll into your rival's place and kick the snot out of them? Is it time for bus karaoke? Is coach going to do the stanky leg? Snag a round of bus beers to celebrate. Whether you were smart enough to bring a portable cooler full of ice, or whether the can was baking in the hot sun all day long, bus beers are delicious, regardless of the temperature. Maybe they're warm, but so is water. Make sure you also try our newest product, empty bus water bottle full of whiskey. Mm -mm -mm. Bus beers. They're beers, but on a bus. What a sponsor. All right. I don't know how we pulled it off getting them to come on for us. Big that's time huge, sponsor. Man. That's a huge market. <laughs> that's like, I mean, we're, that's incredible that they wanted to sponsor There's us. nothing like a there's bus. There's so here. many college We don't teams. encourage. There's so many college For To be clear. Here on the Shock Factor, we do not encourage underage drinking. We're talking no, about no, no, no. all only, of the 25. Say, all, upperclassmen, baby. All, we want your, all those six-year seniors. You take you take a nice big sip. You guys can rent cars at that age, all right? You can have a beer Look, in the back of a bus. Stephen Shock, Stephen Shock, did you ever have a beer on a bus? Oh, totally not. Yes. Yeah, I did. I did from time to time. Uh, one time was a bus four logo, which was just disgusting. Oh my god! But no, post <laughs> game four logo, dude. What on a doing? bus, uh, four logo, like you need to be out in the environment. Like you, yeah. you feel like it, a my room to Rome. <laughs> my my career at a certain school had just ended. I topped at ninety three that day, and I was feeling celebratory. And you know, so you know, crack open a can of gold. <laughs> now, some a bus beer is not the thing to drink before you go into pitch. No. But we aren't going to no. talk about that right now because there was a video that, that you showed or that you tweeted today uh, of a gentleman named Car Camden Minacci at Wake Forest. He, I believe, is their closer. And he was having something described as the reliever shakes, which is yep. when uh, it is clear that a reliever has taken some sort of energy drink, no sponsors, before we he goes out onto the field. Um Someone in the replies was very funny and said they just had a black cherry bang uh, before Camden Minacci <laughs> headed out there. I know last week we touched on your experience of having pre-workout. I was not someone who – I preferred to, like, have a downer. Like, I would drink a cup of tea and rub some eucalyptus on my wrists before I went out there to settle the heart rate. Um, so let's just have a quick conversation about uh, supplements, uppers, downers mid-levelers, snacks, liquids before you head into pitch? Yeah, so for me, basically, I would do anything to give myself extra energy. And, you know, as an older guy and being on the cusp of being washed up, I, I needed that little boost. So I would go to whichever convenience store was closest to the field and pick up whatever cheapest energy drink I could find. I I was very superstitious and very hooked on a routine. 
for pretty much everything else, but this I would not budge on. I'm not paying $3 for one Red Bull. That's that's not for me. I was bottom shelf, whatever whatever was two for 250 That's what I was putting in my body before I pitched. I would have one at the start of the game before catch play just so I could play catch in the state of which I would hopefully be pitching in. And it it was exhausting. So we would have that one before catch play. And then right before warming up, or typically in like the sixth or seventh inning if the game's tight, I'd crack open my next one. Sometimes it was like a rain energy, which was just like a candy bar shoved into a caffeinated water, essentially. Or I would have uh, this thing called NOS, which I used to love growing up because it came in a container that looked like the stuff from the Fast and the Furious movies, and I thought that was sick branding. But they went cheap and switched to cans. So I, I would have those. And it typically would, you know, get me in the right headspace. I would chew on some gum and things like that. And just like pretty much anything that would distract my body from the fact that I was trying to do athletic movements. That's what I was going for. And that's what I think led to my success was the fact that if I had enough caffeine in my system, I would just kind of blur out out there like I kind of black out and I really know what's going on because I feel like as a reliever you know either you're coming into a shitty situation or you're coming into a clean situation with the opportunity for things to get pretty crappy so as long as you can like kind of cut your head off and not really think about the situation as bad as that is for control in the running game for your own sanity yeah I feel it's pretty good Baseball, I would say that relievers are the kickers of baseball, right? We we are fault. <laughs> we are at fault. We are never the heroes. If we mess up, it's on oh, us. Oh yeah, right. That's kind of how I feel, Jordan. This conversation to an outsider, what strikes you about it? Because for me, as someone who never used energy drinks when I was playing, like it seems nuts. Like it really does seem like something I can't. Like I needed to chill. So this is really what it is to me, is that it seems like there's not a lot of in-between. It's either guys that want to be the most amped up or guys that need to, like, just chill the F out. And it's, like, or like something that needs to keep them calm versus something that needs to keep them amped up, and, like, particularly for relievers. And it doesn't seem like there's a lot of in-between. I guess maybe it depends on the weather and the situation and whatever, but um, that's why it's funny to me. Uh, but shock there's really at this point we've only you know been friends with steven for you know not that long but i i there's not going to be much left where i'm like wow i can't believe uh steven had that put that in his body <laughs> that's <laughs> We're running out. so I've, I've already become desensitized which you know steven take that as you will maybe that's maybe a, carson wisenhunt maybe carson wisenhunt just said one too many energy drinks before going into pitch and that's what happened all right, we're going to move on to a segment that shows up briefly and then leaves. It's called Show and Go. Jordan, we're going to run through a couple of the highlight moments from the weekend in college baseball. And we're going to start in Louisiana, where the Louisiana State University Tigers did some Louisiana in games one and two against Texas A&M, but then came back and did not Louisiana in game three. Partly in thanks to a gentleman named Trey Morgan who made one of the most incredible plays I've ever seen a first baseman make. Uh, Jordan, do you want to just walk me through the play itself and then 
we'll have Stephen Shock give us his thoughts as well. Uh, sure. Yes. So Trey Morgan, uh, again, a, a left-handed throwing first baseman. This is a very important detail, <laughs> I would say, <laughs> uh, for this play. Um, Mr. Morgan, again, known for his defense. We have a ground ball to the third baseman. The third baseman rockets it over past Trey Morgan, and the runner decides, I'm going for second. We got past first base. Of course, got, that's, that's easy, right? I'm going to second. It was a close play already, so it's not like he was, you know, it's okay, good. I'm, I'm going to take a wide turn, and I'm going to head over to second base. The ball caroms off the wall down the right field line, a little bit beyond the LSU dugout. And Trey Morgan uh, basically uh, performs a slide and turn and picks up the ball with, again, his left hand and unleashes an unbelievable sidearm laser beam, perfect throw to second base to get the runner. And it wasn't even really that close. This is the most athletic thing I've ever seen a first baseman do. Ever. Hands down. Right? Hands down. And it's not even close. Like, I'm, I'm kind of upset that we're only a few weeks into the season. We already got the best play a first baseman's going to make all year long. And I'm confident in saying that right now. Because no first baseman's going to move like that. Like, he had a perfect slide and he popped up at the same time and was throwing. He did three things at once. I tripped this morning going down the stairs trying to untie a shoe in my hand. If that gives you the level of athleticism that I'm at, this guy, he could untie four shoes while walking down the stairs. This, I, I don't know how he did it. I actually think him being a lefty makes it even harder in this particular instance. Because if he's running towards the ball, he can pick it up on his right side, right? And he's yeah. already facing he's already facing second base. Like his he's already in a throwing position towards second base. Whereas, no, 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 I no he's not. No, I hold on. I totally disagree. Because if he's running towards the ball down the line, he might be able to pick it up with his right hand, but how is he facing second if he because he's square to throw. He's square to throw. Yeah, his left foot. He would still have to turn pretty far, though. Yeah, he's he still, still have to turn pretty he, far. He, he still is able to turn against his front side. As a lefty, he basically needs to swivel his body around 180 degrees, pick it up, and then create the momentum out of nothing, right? Because he's going against where he's he's throwing basically against where his body is moving. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, yes. Um, yes. <laughs> I think I think the difference between a lefty making this play and a righty would be the slide. I feel like a righty first baseman would not have had to make the slide. That's true. I think the, the biggest challenge thing is that the most impressive part about the slide for me is that the ball is still moving off the carom. And the, the timing of the slide and to pick it up bare hand while you're sliding and turn and make the throw – um, is is insane. It is a completely ridiculous play. It wasn't yeah, even close. Like, it's not even like, like it, the it was timing bang, bang. of it all. Like, do you remember sports science, where they would break down <laughs> yeah, like insane plays and things like this? Yeah, man. This is This is how you know it's a good play because they would have a difficult time replicating it on sports science. So if that's the bar, he he's up on the bar pretty damn high. Well, what I love about this play too is it, it's. It's a bunch of angles that we never get to see, right? <laughs> it's a guy coming at a ball from a bizarre 
position. It's a ball bouncing off a weird way. It's a throw that we usually don't see a guy make on the run sidearm, right? And he's kind of he, he like loops it around the runner as well. Like the way it comes in, it's, it wasn't even close. At second, incredible play. I hope that Trey Morgan continues to hit because there are very few players like him, and his defense in the major leagues would be delightful. Also, the base runner, again, I'm I not knowing his name, and that's probably fine because he was thrown out. Uh, <laughs> so it's not like he wants to get shouted out for being thrown out. You can tell he's like, what the F just happened? Like, he, he is completely – because normally when the ball gets by that badly, you're like, okay, I'm at second base. Great. Right. Yeah, and you're coasting what? in. Yeah. So that was my favorite part about it too. But, yeah, he's amazing. And he, he just, just on the scoops alone – I mean, if you watch him in his freshman year last year, like just he's uh, just scoops, which is something that not a lot of college first basemen are very good at, and he is uh, absolutely marvelous at it. All right, let's move to another uh, play here. Uh, Shock, you mentioned last week when we talked about Texas State, how yeah. when you're a closer, you have a move in your head when you close out a game, right? Absolutely. Oh, a big strikeout or. And uh, boy, did we get one this week uh, with Peter Allegro of Portland in a win over BYU. Um, who he just he backflipped. He he's, he he gets the last out and he hits the backflip. Now we have seen this um, in the professional ranks, thanks to a gentleman <laughs> named Dustin Knight. And I have seen it at the collegiate level before. Uh, that doesn't make it any less crazy uh, for all the obvious reasons. But um, Stephen Chalk, uh, why weren't you backflipping when you? finish games um because my life has been a constant war with gravity and i don't think i'm winning uh, i know i'm not winning my vertical of 21 inches is not gonna not gonna allow my i don't know 150 pound legs to spin around that fast but i do appreciate peter just absolutely ripping it representing all pitchers nationwide saying hey you know, every pitcher can do this, but I'm the only one who's going to do it because now it's my thing. So I I actually I had consulted with Raven Simone of That's So Raven, and she said, well, next year Peter Allegro is going to backflip. And I was like, I'll let him have that thunder. So that's why I didn't backflip. I didn't make it my thing. I see. Yeah. She looked into the so future. It's a, yeah, the fu- yeah. 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 So, you know, had to – out of reverence for Peter Allegro, I let him have it. Wow. What a gentleman. That's just, you know what that is? That's just paying it forward. That's just, you know, growing the game. <laughs> because, right. And honestly, to, to, be, to be honest, you're, you're right. Because all this would take would be one person to do this and get hurt. And then no one's ever doing it again. Uh, and so I'm glad you didn't because you would have gotten hurt. Yeah, 100%. Would have landed on um, so, so thank you for that. Uh, our next uh, moment we wanted to talk about was something that happened. Was this in Hawaii, or did it just... No, it was Long Hawaii? Beach. Long Beach. Yeah. Long Beach. Um, uh, Jake Vince, tell me what happened. Uh, you have here on the notes this Hawaii Ump Show. Come on down. Yeah. Grab your tickets. Get your playbill for the very first Ump Show of the season. This is the Ump Show of all Ump Shows. One of the points of emphasis this year in college baseball is pace of play. There are clocks afoot and around. I, I, I'm fine with the clocks. I'm not fine with umps being sh- kind of schmuckish about them. <laughs> and what happened was a gentleman by the name of Dallas Duarte stepped into the plate, I believe, with two strikes. Took a little bit too long for the umpire's liking. And the umpire pointed at him, and he called strike three. And that was it. That was out. 
That is not what Abner Doubleday and the founders of baseball uh, intended when they pretended to create this game in 1721, which is not real. Uh, this was stupid. This is a dumb extension of a pace of play point of emphasis. Everyone should get to hit. Like, you should have the opportunity to have an at-bat. <laughs> um, it's not about you. It's about the kids. You don't need to show that you're following the rules. Just let it go. It's fine. In the words of Elsa, let it go. And not to mention that at-bat before, Dallas Duarte struck out yet again. But this time, instead of uh, seeing three strikes, he got hit in the ribs, I believe. But he didn't run away from the ball fast enough. So the same umpire said, you know what? That's probably going to be a strike because it hit you. But if Stay it right didn't, Stay if, right it, if it didn't, it could have caromed off something, maybe hit a few flies and gotten into the zone. So screw you, Dallas. Hey, hey, stay right here. Stay right here. That's our favorite umpire thing. Stay right here. It's the stupidest it's, thing. It's the best. Um, but yeah, that that sure. I mean, that's why that's why people love the game. That's why you go is to see umpires umpire. Uh, next on the docket, let's talk about Southern Mississippi, uh, who uh, had a walk off win over the weekend, and they're um, they have quite a a light situation. Down there, where basically they have, uh, I guess it's just some sort of advanced LED technology that allows for some pretty crazy light show in the immediate aftermath of a walk-off win. Something that not even major league teams, uh, we've seen more of it. More some of the recent stadiums, Atlanta, they definitely have it there. I know there are some other big league teams that do this, and obviously much bigger stadiums in college. But this was um, this was pretty cool for for, for Southern Miss. But I will say, Jake, yeah, kind of makes me mad. It does make me mad as a Division Three player who played on a top 25 team that didn't have lights. Flexing that you not only have lights, but you have the ability to turn them off when you want in choice moments is a dunk on the small schools of America. Makes me sick. We get it. You can see. Those now you can't down. see. All right. That's that's our you're already way ahead of us. Don't don't be showing some is, fancy like show. Like is the walk off light show too concert. much, Stephen Shock? Should that be money be going to the teachers? <laughs> well, tenured professors actually make a very good living, so I don't know if it should be going to the teachers, but maybe to some of the other teams and the other <laughs> other places within mm. the university. But my thing mm. is, as a player, if I hit a walk off nuke. I want to see the crowd reacting. I want to see what's going on. I would probably, like, they would flip the lights back on, and I would be somewhere by the pitcher's mound. I'd be like, where am I going? What am I doing? And then we have another ump show situation where they're calling me out to stay right here or whatever. You know, game's not over because Steve is on the mound after rounding first base. So, I, I don't know. I think it's sick. And I tip my cap to the super coordinated players who can hit walk-off home runs and round the bases in the dark, but I don't know. Here's the thing. Ready? College baseball, this is the biggest difference. There are many. One of the biggest differences between college baseball and Major League Baseball. Ready? Major League Baseball is predominantly for people who are not at the game. It is mostly for people watching on TV and for people following on their phones and watching highlights, right? There are more people watching the game at home than there are people at the game. 
in my opinion, that might be true as well, numbers-wise, with college baseball. But the college baseball experience is more for the people that are at the game than for the people watching at home. And that leads to a variety of different things and how the game is chose, you know, broadcasted and whatever. And in my opinion, the light show is cooler on TV than it is in person. <laughs> and while I tip my cap to Southern Miss for doing something cool, I think that this is the type of thing that um, like, it's not overkill. It's great. I don't want to yuck a yum. I'm not trying to be a fun police. But my that was my first reaction to it. It was like, damn, that would look great on, like, a sick World Series broadcast. And then I was like, oh, maybe, well, we're not. We're not there. I like it more in Steven's uh, idea where you can't see and you're running into the outfield or something. I think that's amazing, too. Because it does look so awfully dark. Uh, next thing, gentlemen, is Nolan McClain with Oklahoma State hit a home run, 472 feet. We had a few tape measure shots. One of the great things about college baseball in 2022 is there are track man units all over the place, and team social media accounts love tweeting out how far the home runs were hit by their players, and which is fantastic and very cool, and like we live in the future, and I love that. And Nolan McClain hit a ball 472. It's pretty far. That in and of itself is crazy. Um, because he's a college baseball player, and yeah, okay, he's using a metal bat. Uh, he hit it to the other way. This was one of the most ridiculous opposite field home runs I've ever seen. I don't care what kind of bat he's using. I don't care how bad of a pitch it was. It would be the farthest opposite field home run in the StatCast era. If you know what that is, you know that's crazy. Um, it's It was nuts. And it, Noel McClain has been striking out a ridiculous amount. He is a draft prospect for this year. Uh, if he can handle his – to me, he's like kind of Elijah Cabell, except he plays in the infield and used to be an amazing quarterback. So he's a much better athlete in general. But I just love that we've been having some just ridiculous tape measure home runs. It's to your point earlier, Jake, right? Like much of the college baseball attention so far this season has been the dingers um, and not the pitching, <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> um, that can be fun in, in both ways. So shouts out to Noel McClain. Now, we should talk about pitchers a little bit. Uh, Stephen Schock, uh, you told us last week that the hardest you've ever thrown a pitch was, I believe, 93 or 94? 93. 93. I think. I don't remember um, what I said. It was one of those. Okay, numbers. think about the first time you threw 83, mm -hmm. and then think about the journey you took to go 10 miles an hour harder than that, and all of the work you put in to do that. I mean, Jake, you could think about too from, from you know, 73 to 83. Um, <laughs> you think about all that work, right? And just like, oh my God, I've put in so much time and effort. What to go 10 miles an hour, right? Unbelievable, right? Like, that's crazy, right? Okay, Steven, now imagine doing it again from 93 to 103, and you'll be up there with Ben Joyce of Tennessee, who has <laughs> been routinely touching 102, 103, and reportedly even 104 this past weekend. This is completely um, asinine uh, uh, and just laughable stuff here from Mr. Joyce. Jake Mintz, as you raise your hand and I see your Tommy John scar, how do you feel about this? It's too <laughs> fast. Too fast. It's too fast, man. Too damn fast. That's how I feel about this. It's too, it's too damn fast, man. <laughs> Like, uh, whoa, slow, slow down, down there, buddy. Slow. You know, my dad, Jordan, you've met my dad many times. <laughs> if you're standing with my dad on a street and someone speeds by, what will he do, Jordan? <laughs> slow. No. Whoa. I would do that. If I was the opposing, if I was the opposing coach facing Tennessee bed, Jordan, I'd be like, whoa, hey, hey, whoa. <laughs> let's keep slow down. Sir, you were going ben. 104 and 95. <laughs> 
Uh, Steven Shock, thoughts on throwing a baseball 104 miles an hour? Go. It's just kind of rude. Like, come on, (laughs) man. 100 is plenty. 98, 99 is also plenty. This dude's throwing 11 miles an hour harder than I ever could in my life. It is unbelievable. It's like, dude, relax. We don't need to go that fast. It's dangerous. I mean, I'm kidding. I absolutely love watching him pitch. But at the same time, I just sit there and think, how in the world is that humanly possible? Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and obviously, Velo's been trending up at every level of baseball uh, over the last decade. And um, it just, you know, makes me think, right? Is what are the what are the what are the upper limits? I don't know. Will we live to see someone throw one ten? I don't know. Slow, <laughs> slow, slow. Ben Joyce. Uh, last uh, show and go uh, before we get to our last couple segments. Um, I want to talk about Kevin Copps. Kevin Copps. Speaking of the Kevin Copps. It's the Kevin Copps, uh, if you recall, um, was the uh, the Golden Spikes winner last year. Holy shit. Ke- Kevin Copps, right? Yeah. We know him. Wh- one of the most heroic seasons imaginable, Kevin Copps. But let's remember that Kevin Copps, going into last season, was just a guy. Was essentially nobody. I mean, he was a 24 year old reliever who had had a good season in 2019, but had been hurt a bunch. He was back with Arkansas. He wasn't really anything. And on March 16th, 2021, he appeared in a bullpen game loss against Oklahoma midweek, I believe. He wasn't even the last pitcher to come in. They were just throwing a bunch of dudes. They lost. Okay, great. And about a year later, Kevin Copps pitched in a major league spring training game for the San Diego Padres, uh, which he did on Friday. And I just think that is absolutely amazing. And what his life has been over the last year has got to be amazing. And just to remember, like, again, at that point, by March, he really wasn't anything. But then you mentioned, Jake, the theme of the week, conference play. Mm. He threw four scoreless innings with seven strikeouts against Mississippi State in their opening conference weekend and then pitched in every game against Auburn and obviously did not allow any runs. And then by then, in, like, early April, we were all like, oh, my God, who in the world is this Kevin Copps gentleman? (laughs) Steven Schock. Uh, what do you think about when you think about Kevin Copps, who is now probably, honestly, probably going to pitch in the big leagues for the Padres this year? I just think about a dude who absolutely made it. Like, he he didn't give a crap that he was an older guy. He didn't give a crap that he wasn't one of the guys throwing 98. He had his stuff, and he was just so aware of what his ball did that, you know, that level of awareness can really benefit you as a pitcher. And he was just one of those guys who knew what he was didn't try to be anything beyond himself. And granted, himself was something that was incredible. Like, he he had incredible talent, but he also just stayed within himself so well. No matter how big the situation was, he just performed and delivered his skill set, which as a pitcher, you know, we don't always do that. But if you can go out, put one or two different pitches in the zone at different speeds, you're going to be successful, and he did it with, like, four pitches. So, obviously, it worked out pretty well for him. You could say he's had a good year. Yeah. <laughs> I would say yeah. COVID winner, Kevin <laughs> Copps. One of the great pandemic winners across this great land. Absolutely, Kevin Copps. Uh, we'd just like to update everybody that the Florida State-North Carolina State game has finally ended on a walk-off run in the bottom of the 17th. Holy shit. Go to bed. Oh, All right. Do your homework. 
Uh, last uh, two more Have things for you, beer. and we will be done. Have a oh, you know who needs a bus beer? <laughs> NC State. <laughs> might be a plain beer. Oh my goodness, uh, gentlemen, it's time to go beyond D one, but there is a D one tie-in. Because today I went to a Division One baseball game at the University of Maryland between Maryland and Siena. Steven Schock, I've already told Jake a little bit about this, but do you know about Siena, the Siena Saints? What do you know about the Siena Saints baseball program? Do you know anything? It's okay if you don't. I do not know as much as I should. I, okay, no, it's okay. it's okay. I know they're talented from time okay. to time. <laughs> they have strokes of greatness. Named after Sienna's Pizza, Jordan, the kosher pizza place. <laughs> oh, boy, a that's a shout out for eight people. Uh, Sienna is uh, there are in uh, up in near Albany. Um, the Sienna Saints, they're not very good. They're in the Mac. Shouts out St. Peter's. Sienna's not. They haven't been very good. But what they do have is a head coach named Tony Rossi. And Tony Rossi, um, Stephen Schock, what year do you think Tony Rossi first began being the head coach of the Siena Saints, just get, just give it a gander. Oh, Obviously, gosh. this is noteworthy. Okay, so you know, you know, we know about Augie Garrido. He coached for a long time, but he was at a few different schools. Okay, then he ended up at Texas. Okay, how long do you think Tony Rossi has been the head coach for the Siena Saints? Just, just, just take a guess. Just, just go ahead. Also, it would be a long time to be a coach at one place. Uh, Seventeen years is my standard of long times. Seventeen is long. Okay, so I'm just gonna tell you right now. Let's push those limits. All right. Oh, let's go. Let's go farther than seventeen years. All right. Let's expand your mind, my friend. Okay. Time to get smarter. Time to get smarter. All right. Seventeen years is not a long time. That's higher. Not. It's it's really not. All right. It's a lot higher than that. So so that would mean that he he started co- uh, coaching in 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 2005. Nothing. Yeah. I mean, oh, dude, God. Jordan, what, what are we talking about? What's a year, Jordan? Come on. Uh, Tony Rossi began coaching at Siena in 1970. What? <laughs> this is year 53 oh my for Coach Rossi. God. With the Saints, okay? And now you're saying, well, Jordan, what? this is beyond D1. What are you talking about? Like, Siena is... I just want to say, okay. that was the Nixon administration. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so I'm just going to go ahead and read the bio for Tony Rossi. Tony Rossi on his, on the Siena Saints. Tony Rossi enters his 53rd season as the head coach of the Siena baseball program in 2022. A 1985, this is so funny, a 1985 Siena Athletics Hall of Fame inductee. So he was <laughs> inducted into the school Hall of Fame 15 years into his tenure. He's still there. Okay, Rossi is the longest Ready? Ready? Rossi is the longest. By the way, I'm assuming it's Rossi. If it's Rossi, please correct me. Rossi is the longest tenured head coach in NCAA Division One baseball history. I think that's the and the second longest active tenured college baseball coach at any level, trailing only Division Two Bentley's Bob DeFelice, who is in his 54th season. Wow! Oh my God! The race is on. Okay, okay, but gentlemen, gentlemen. Jordan, I, I just want to be phone. clear. Sorry, uh, LBJ yes. finished his term in 1969. <laughs> okay. For, now, for the end, beginning of the DeFelice administration. Okay, <laughs> Bob DeFelice has been the only head baseball coach at Bentley University, which is, I believe, in Massachusetts. Division two. Okay. Um, 
that's amazing, right? But big news, big news, gentlemen. Oh no. Is he this okay? was announced last month. Is he okay? That Bob DeFelice will be stepping down at the end of this season. No. Oh, no. Which no. means now DeFelice is 79 and Rossi is 78. Okay. <laughs> um, and what that means is that if Tony Rossi can come back for two more years, <laughs> right? Because he'll have to finish this one and then coach next one and then coach one more. He will have the record. So this is something <laughs> to watch. <laughs> Stephen Schock, this is something oh to watch. Oh, my gosh. I think, I think. And Bentley University, we will be watching. They uh, have been off to a – they are 5-10 uh, and ten to start the year. Not a great start in the, the Atlantic 10, I think. I don't know what they're coming. But Bob DeFelice – Sorry, North, the, the Northeast 10. Bob DeFelice knows what he's doing. He's been there before <laughs> – 53 fucking times. (laughs) And Kendall Rogers, you have the phone number of every head baseball coach in the world, but do you have the number of Tony Rossi or Bob DeFelice? That is my challenge to our compadre at D1 Baseball. Um, And that is my Beyond D1. I will be following the Bentley Falcons and the Siena Saints very closely for the remainder of the season. Obviously, Siena has had a tough start to the year. Um, but uh, that is how I, I have feel. to read uh, a sentence about Bob DeFelice. Oh, uh, oh, about Bob DeFelice. Yeah. I also want to read a sentence about Tony Rossi, and then we can be done. Go ahead. Okay. Amazingly, DeFelice has been inducted into nine halls of fame. <laughs> <laughs> the most recent, <laughs> incredible nine, nine, nine halls of fame. Nine. But that doesn't include Cooperstown, but it should. The most recent being the New England Intercollegiate Baseball Association Hall of Fame. I mean, duh. He is also in the Boston College Hall of Fame, where he played college Mm. ball. The Bentley, duh, Hall of Fame. A charter member of the Winthrop High. I assume that's where he went to high school Hall of Fame. (laughs) The Massachusetts National Italian American Sports Hall of Fame. The Intercity Hall of Fame? The Massachusetts High School Football Coaches Hall of Fame? The Boston Park League Hall of Fame? And the Union Printers International Baseball League Hall of Fame? Unbelievable. That's a Hall of Fame coach nine times. (laughs) Um, I I feel like the world of baseball... I feel like we need to pool money together to let these two gentlemen have a round of golf together just on the sport of baseball. Like, we'll pay for it. No, 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 no. Okay, so, so, I need need a scrimmage. I need these two (laughs) teams. Yes, this is what I was going to say. So now that I know, now that I know that he's leaving, this doesn't work as well. But as I was leaving the game, I was talking to my brother about it, and we said they should play three game series. They're not that far from each other. I'm looking at right now, yeah. Right? Loser retires. It's not that complicated, right? I mean, loser <laughs> retires. I mean, that's that's how it should go. Loser right? goes home. Loser goes home. <laughs> um, I want to read one more sentence. Oh, here, Stephen. I want it's your last a two and a half hour drive. It's a layup. How are we yeah, not planned? Let's do some fall ball at least. Let's at least do a little fall scrimmage, right? Come on. Okay. One more sentence. I just want to read here, or a couple more sentences from Tony Rossi's bio. Rossi first joined the Siena College Athletic Department as a 23-year-old in January 1967. 
serving as the men's lacrosse junior varsity coach for three seasons. Just over two years later, in the summer of 1969, Siena Athletic Director Gene Cullinan offered Rossi his dream job. For the annual sum of just $200, Rossi was hired to be Siena's head baseball coach. 200 bucks a year. Lamonis is like, I'm sorry, how much? <laughs> Tim Corbin's like, I make $200 a every pitch. out. <laughs> a pitch. <laughs> All right. That is folks. incredible. Stephen Schock, um, I know we're going long here. We're gonna we're gonna get you guys out of here on on a feel good story. This has been a delightful been, evening. I've been feeling good. These two elderly gentlemen still strapping on the the, the that's, stirrup. That's true. That's true. Whenever it's like, oh man, we've been whew, it's been a lot of long podcast. Okay, I wonder if he has his like four years. I wonder if he has his original belt. Like, what if he's a superstitious guy? He's <laughs> like, I gotta wear the same belt every game, and he just pulls his it out. His belt has like just, lead paint on it. It's, it's just torn to dust. Oh my god! Oh, oh man! Okay, all right. We this could be its own pod. I'm sorry I waited for an hour in to talk about this. But, um, if it's you okay. know I'll, anything about either of these two. Multi Hall of Fame coaches. Tony Rossi, by the way, also in the the Albany Twilight League Hall of Fame and the Capital Region Baseball Hall of Fame. Just two, um, just two. My man D. Just Felice. three, so three. three? Also in the okay, so my man D. Felice laughs at that. <laughs> three time, nine time Hall of Famer. Nine time Hall of Famer is so funny. Instead of like nine time All Star, nine time Hall of Famer. Um, Stephen Shock. <laughs> Let's take a breath, boys. I'll end it, boys. Let's. I feel like we all need to. I feel like we all need to run down to the left field foul pole and run back. Here. Okay, let's reset. Let's gather. Let's reset. Okay, Steve Chalk. I'll take us home you, with the feel goods. Take us home with the feel goods. This is a story, also somewhat beyond D one adjacent. Yeah. Tell us about Mr. Jack Buckley. Let's do it. So Jack Buckley made his return to baseball this year, the year of 2022. For the University of Richmond, he uh, made his return, I believe, on Friday. Yep. He struck out the first batter he faced, and his his reason for stepping away from baseball for a little bit was kind of crazy. So in 2021, December of 2021, or – no, that December math. 2020. Yeah, December 2020. There we go. My math was wrong. Mm-hmm. The the year turning over confuses me still. But he was diagnosed with cancer. So he took the year off, kicked the crap out of it, and came back. And so naturally I shared this story because it's something that made me happy and was shared with me. So I wanted to share it with more people. And then like a few minutes after posting it, I got a message from Jack saying thank you and all that. And he goes, oh, by the way, right before the whole uh, cancer diagnosis thing, I was coming back from Tommy John. And then, so not only was he coming back from TJ, he gets diagnosed with cancer and comes back and punches out the first guy he faced. Not only that, I get another message saying, so I had to delete the original tweet to update this because this was too much not to have. It's a, it's a message from one of his coaches saying, oh, by the way, um, Jack started at Franklin and Marshall University, a Division three school in Pennsylvania, before graduating and transferring here. So his timeline goes, freshman year, he's at 
Franklin and Marshall. He's one of the best pitchers in Division Three. I know you guys can attest to that. You have a better understanding of that than I do. Eventually, he graduates and grad transfers, gets Tommy John, gets cancer, beats them both because he is a savage. Two comes back, comes back. Guy steps in the box. Hey, how you doing, motherfucker? I'm punching you out. I love it. Amazing, amazing. Um, yeah, man. I mean, we remember when he was uh, one of the better pitchers at FNM, and and I, I knew he was transferring to to Richmond, and and it's it's so cool. Richmond's had a bunch of D three transfers actually over the last few years, but what an incredible story. Obviously, stuff like this we love, and and to you, the point you made during the midweek pod, Stephen, the story you told during that one, like. Baseball is an amazing vessel and venue to have these amazing stories happen, um, and and it's great, and we love it. I and, love it, uh, and I and I, I love that, and, and so congrats to Jack, and we wish him a, a, a healthy and successful remainder of his season with the Spiders. Um, and on that feel good note, I think we're gonna we're gonna wrap the pod here, uh, gentlemen. This has been uh, a journey. We have covered a lot of ground, as always. Uh, any any final thoughts, uh, Jake Mintz, uh, for, for this uh, episode of The Shock Factor? I am curious how many bus beers Coach DeFelice has had <laughs> over the course of his um, vaunted 54-year coaching career. Oh, my God. Well, that is mean, info, that's info I need. I wouldn't be surprised at the start if he was just having dugout beers because, you know, it's a different time <laughs> back then. <laughs> Very good point. Smoking heaters, coaching third. <laughs> if you, if you uh, know, if you, I mean, we just want to know more. It's really that simple. Uh, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Shock Factor. Stephen Shock, you are uh, a champion uh, podcaster and friend of ours. If you like what you hear, uh, make sure you you know retweet and and share and rate on the you know the D one Pod and all those feeds. And we will be back uh, next week. Jake, any, any final thoughts? Use our coupon codes. Do it. Yeah, you could use the code BBQ22 or SHOCK22. You get pick. 25% off an annual subscription to D1Baseball.com, which is well worth your money, your discounted money. Use coupon code BBQ to get uh, no percent off bus beers. <laughs> Got to pay full price. Talk to you all <laughs> next week. Bye.